Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 206 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast, brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc, where if you go to Acoustic Disc's website now and sign up for their email, they will send you a free song every week. It's called the Treat of the Week, and you can get it just by signing up for free at AcousticDisc.com. You can also check out the Acoustic Encounters podcast with Dog and Danny Barnes as well. Highly recommended. Hope everybody is doing well. My uh, episode this week, this was a this is a fun one, man, talking with Nate. This guy has lived a pretty cool life and a life you don't really hear about, you know, from somebody who was uh, a 90s kid, as he, as he says here. So, he plays in Pert near Sandstone, and they have a great new album out. I've really been enjoying it, and it really connects with you. It's it's, And I think it's because it's just uh, very real sounding. The album's called Waiting Days. So, And I've got all the links below and all the links to where to you can find Nate. He's also got solo music on Bandcamp. Um, they have a festival called Blue Ox Music Fest that they put on. So, yeah, that was a great conversation. So I want to thank Nate for doing it. And I want to thank my sponsors, obviously. Peghead Nation has a brand new course with Aaron Weinstein. He has got a gypsy jazz course. And I've watched some of the videos already. And if you are familiar with Aaron's playing, you know, he's remarkable. And this course is going to be incredible. And you can get your first 30 days for free from Peghead Nation. If you just enter the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout, that's all one word, you can get yourself 30 days for free. So, yeah, go over there, check it out, check out the new course, check out the old courses. they got a great lineup of instructors. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check them out at their website, northfieldmandolins.com. Or download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and workshops. They also have an incredible Instagram that you must check out. Ear Trumpet Labs, hand-built microphones from Portland, Oregon. Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use and the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today. Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins designed and built in Austin, Texas. Head on over to Ellis and check them out. They also have a fantastic Instagram. Tone Slabs, get yourself a slab of tone and actually get yourself a discount right now. For the month of December, you can use the code D-E-C-S-A-L-E-S. That's December sales or short for December D-E-C. And you can get 25% off your Tone Slab picks. I love mine. I say it every week and it is true. I haven't used another pick since I got my Tone Slabs and uh, they're great. They have all the shapes and sizes you could want. And right now, 25% off. Now's the time to check them out. ToneSlabs.com. It is also the holiday season, and now would be a great time to pick up the incredible book, The Life and Work of Lloyd Allaire Lore by Roger Simonoff. The book is incredible. I say it every time I talk about it. It's more than just a book. You can go to SimonoffBooks.com and look at some of the samples. It's got pictures and text. It's an incredible story. Uh, it poses such questions as, did Lore only play Gibson instruments? What were his job duties at Gibson? Find out that and more from the life and work of Lloyd Allaire Lore, available at SimonoffBooks.com.
Com and Elderly Instruments. My award-winning friends at Elderly Instruments, they are your trusted source for new used and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're in their 51st year. They're family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide. You can visit them anytime at elderly.com. All right, everybody, let's get into this episode with Nate. I had a really, really good time talking with him. I think you'll enjoy it as well. Be sure to check them out again. All the links below, all the songs that are sampled in here that aren't Nate's band are listed with links to go and check them out. You guys have yourselves a fantastic week. Cheers, everybody. Well, now it is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Nate Sype. Nate, how you doing? Doing really well, Daniel. How are you? Doing good. Thanks so much for uh, doing the podcast. I truly appreciate yeah. it. I'm loving the new album, Waiting Days. This is really great stuff. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a labor of love putting that together. You know, we're, we're an independent band, so we do all of our own uh, production and, and all of all the elements we really sourced ourselves and um, yeah, it's we're yeah, it's a fun project. This is a band we've been going on almost twenty years now, so this is our eighth studio album. That is incredible, and the band is Pertner Sandstone. Because am I saying that right? You said you could say it multiple ways. Yes, there we've we've had people that tell us we're pronouncing it wrong, and uh, oh, know, it's perfect. Just, that's that's the Midwestern pronunciation, Pertner Sandstone, and uh, yeah, based out of Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota, where several of us are old actually high school friends that uh, went our separate ways during the college years and met back up in the early aughts and we had all begun playing acoustic music, set our electric guitars aside and <laughs> unplugged our amps and, uh, and started living room picking and the band kind of took off from there. Went from cafes to bars to uh, yeah, producing our own festivals and uh, Touring around the world, the Blue Ox Music Festival is that the uh, is that the festival you're speaking of? Yes, yeah, yep, yeah. Let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, so 2024 is going to be year 10. Wow, started in 2015, and uh, just kind of on a lark, we we met some folks in Denver as we were opening opening up for the Traveling McCurries in 2014, and. Um, they happen to mention like, Hey, we're, uh, you know, we produce a music festival in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and it's country jam USA is the festival that, that they produced. And it's a huge pop country fest. And they were thinking maybe we could help them produce a little bluegrass side stage in the campground. And we, uh, you know, we, we kind of, we kind of took it with a grain of salt. Like, yeah, you know, people talk during shows and they approach us at the merchandise area and, we're talking big games about festivals, but when we actually <laughs> got in touch with them afterwards, months later, and uh, got our manager involved, and actually went out to the property to see what they were dealing with, it was just it was a perfect match, and everything their the infrastructure of the grounds, which was just the campgrounds for their pop fest pop country festival, was it was just all the the makings of a perfect location for a bluegrass festival. So we. 
uh, helped convince them to do a standalone event and it just hit the ground running and uh, it's been I think it was a huge success from year one and it's grown into its own you know legacy event and uh, pretty pretty prestigious music uh, for the area which was you know, lacking at the time and it's it's had huge support, and it's our little Midwest Telluride, is how we like to think of it. <laughs> That's perfect. So you, you mentioned putting down the electric guitars. What kind of stuff were you playing? What was your Midwest music that you loved to listen to when you were younger? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I was I was raised in the I was I'm a '90s kid, so you know, I was into the grunge rock, Smashing Pumpkins and Nirvana and all that kind of stuff that was on the radio that we could get our hands on, and discovered a really cool you know really vibrant indie music scene in minneapolis where there is underground punk bands and just really got into you know those power chords and distorted guitars and and just just wailing away with friends in basements and garages and uh you know i started traveling after after high school i did some college i kind of went in and out of college and traveling around the country and I, you know, picked up an acoustic guitar to travel around with and, you know, it just became more and more cumbersome to lug a, a guitar around the country as I went from taking, you know, cars to buses to <laughs> eventually hitchhiking and hopping freight trains. And so I, I traded the acoustic guitar for an acoustic mandolin and which is much more portable and, you know, it's such a great instrument to accompany all of the millions of guitar players in the world so it was just kind of just sort of fit and i really took to it and uh and yeah folk music kind of became became the way and the you know the language that i began speaking and realizing that it's there's such a shared uh repertoire and catalog of tunes out there amongst everyone that appreciates folk music and bluegrass and old time and and uh yeah i just just became obsessed and uh still play the guitar still still go back you know I'm, i've entered into the electric world again also with steel guitar but uh mandolin is always kind of my primary so what type of stuff were you listening to you get the mandolin what type of stuff did you start listening to and start learning so when i when i was playing guitar I took some lessons and of course, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to play punk rock and metal and I took some lessons at the local music shop and my teacher said, well, if you want to learn rock and roll, you have to learn the blues. So he, he kind of built the basis of, uh, you know, the fundamentals of rock and roll through this, through this perspective of blues music. And that's really, was my first foray into folk music. Actually, I kind of, you know, I, I suddenly realized that all this classic rock was actually built around this kind of blues tradition and this and this folk, this country folk tradition. And uh, just kind of, you know, clicked for me and I became a little bit of a, uh, a musical investigator and tracing lineage of things. I think as you as you do when you get into folk music, you start, you know, connecting the lines and legacies of you know, Bob Dylan to Woody Guthrie, for example, or Eric Clapton to Lead Belly, or, you know, like you, you I, I kind of just became enthralled by this world that I didn't really know existed. And 
got into things like the anthology of American folk music and um, discovered a lot of music through the public library and their catalog of CDs and including the new Lost City Ramblers. As I sat down in a gambling game, I could hardly play my hand. Thinking about the woman I love, run away with another man. Run away with another man, poor boy, run away with another man. Thinking about the woman I love, run away with another That that old time, you know, the New Lost City Ramblers are such a such a treasure um, because they really brought forth so much music that was unheard and unknown uh, that was just buried in boxes in the Library of Congress that Mike Seeger and Alan Lomax and all the you know these people like dug out and made recordings of and 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 simultaneously learned how to play the material and perform it and brought it out to the world where it was otherwise, you know, just buried in boxes and might not have been heard until of course, 78 record collectors became, you know, went bonkers over the stuff. But, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, I kind of, I got that itch and started learning old time fiddle tunes and just kind of folk, you know, old time folk songs. And it was just such a, such a strange new world that was, unfolding and uh yeah i just couldn't get enough of it i just listened to it um listened to it all the time and as much as i could find again through you know the internet was was pretty was was a youngling at the time so it was just what i could find in books and the library and trading tapes with friends and and uh and then, of course, you know, then then digital archives became a thing that was much easier to pass around, and and uh, yeah, the the world of fiddle tunes and field recordings, and I eventually picked up the fiddle because I was learning so many fiddle tunes on the mandolin. I thought I should actually try to do it on the fiddle. And <laughs> been playing the fiddle ever since then as well. So I'm kind of I'm definitely a mandolinist. Uh, I have a mandolin approach to playing the fiddle, I, I'd say as well. When you were learning some of these tunes, were you learning them all just from recordings or were you finding even like old sheet music and things like that? Yeah. So I, I took a trip to very, very shortly after I got my first mandolin, I think it was like, you know, a $150 Fender mandolin or yeah. Epiphone. I think, it was, <laughs> I think it was an Epiphone, you know, just whatever was hanging in the local store. And, um, Simultaneously, I got a, a a book of just a method book for bluegrass, and so I was learning, you know, Blackberry Blossom and just just off the sheet music and Red Hair Boy and you know all those all those classic uh, fiddle tunes that you start out with and kind of show you the basis of the song forms and chord progressions and you know rhythm and all that. And I I took this book and this mandolin and I went over to. Uh, New Zealand for three months and just as I was traveling around and camping and working on organic farms and and staying in in hostels I just sort of learned learned how to you know I worked through this book and kind of learned the basis of of mandolin playing and my wife uh, who was my girlfriend at the time was traveling with me and she had a flute and you know neither of us could really jam together but I remember one 
we were in Queenstown on the South Island of New Zealand and we, there's this promenade downtown and we went to opposite ends of the promenade and she with her flute and me with my mandolin and we busked on the street as a contest to see who could make more money. And I think she, she came out on top because uh, some woman strolled by and handed her $20 and said, you look like you need this. <laughs> Whereas I think I made maybe 10 bucks or something along those lines. But that was my that was my first uh, you know my first gigging with the mandolin was busking on the street in New Zealand. <laughs> You've lived like a very old time sort of life for being a kid of the '90s, hitchhiking and hopping trains and going to New Zealand. I love it, man. That's really great. It really does. I don't want to jump into the album yet, but it really it's really painting a great picture of this album because this album is like a rollicking good time. It reminds <laughs> me of you know it reminds me of maybe what it would have been like to you know just be strolling around some some old saloon or bar and this great music would lure you in acoustic music and it would be like this type yeah. of stuff where you just be like let's get some beers and hang out here for the rest of the night <laughs> so yeah you know that's kind of that you've summarized our band pretty well right there in that statement so <laughs> that's, how, <laughs> that's how we started that's kind of what keeps us going is we're just we just love hanging with each other and you know i think our music really comes out of an organic approach it's just like you know i i learned mandolin this way and jay learned guitar that way and kevin learned banjo this way and we just put it all together and that's what we sound like and we each kind of write from our own voices as well and we when we you know when i play kevin songs and jay plays my songs you know they all kind of create a even though there's a lot of variety and and eclectic styles within each of our albums uh it all it all kind of creates a unified sound in, in my mind. So when, when you're in New Zealand, does New Zealand have fiddle tunes? You know, I know certain countries have different types of, of music. Is that, is there any sort of New Zealand fiddle tune that you learned over there? No, nothing. I didn't actually, like I said, I wasn't jamming with anyone um, at the time and just, just had it as something to do uh, in downtime, you know, since we didn't have, personal devices to scroll through every, <laughs> every extra minute of every day, you know, I was like, all right, well, uh, I guess, I guess I'll play some mandolin right now. Um, or, you know, camping in the woods. So I didn't come across any other musicians really that I can recall that had any kind of impact on me anyways. At the time it was just, I was just focused, focused on, on practicing and learning this new instrument and trying to, trying to relate some of the, guitar repertoire that I had onto the mandolin, which was, you know, kind of a folk blues traditional basis at that point. So, but yeah, definitely as I was, you know, hopping freight trains and hitchhiking around, I came across uh, several musicians and as much as the movies paint this glorified picture, you cannot hear a mandolin at all when you're in a boxcar rolling down the tracks. It's just, <laughs> it's just too loud. <laughs> but when you're at, you know, when you're camping out and you're meeting people and there's, there's a lot of musicians out there still, still riding the rails today and still making, making music kind of that old time, that, that old fashioned way. So it's pretty heartwarming to, to see that. And, and uh, yeah, that was, that was really, that, that really informed my love of the music and the tradition and kind of experiencing it in a really genuine way and uh and realizing how important it is that this music you know it's an oral tradition so to to be able to share the music and learn a song directly from somebody playing it in front of you and 
you know, or, or write a new verse to an old traditional song. It's, it's really, a, it was a, it felt like an important thing to be doing and, uh, and still does just to, you know, have that satisfaction of connectedness through music. Yeah, that oral tradition thing is really cool, especially in this type of music. You know, like when somebody teaches you a Smashing Pumpkins song, there's like one way to play it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. But, but you could yeah. learn Red Haired Boy and it, it could be you could hear 10 different versions of the same song that are, you know, that make you think like, wow, there's so many ways to take this type of music. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's and, you know, there's there's personal style or there's regional style or there's just different versions of the same thing. And. Yeah, it's all it's it's a cool it's a cool thing to discover and and uh, and then try to you know to to study as well. Did you have any particular players, mandolin or fiddle players that you that you really dove into at any point? Yeah, like I said, I was I really got into the New Lost City Ramblers. Um, so Mike Seeger was a big influence on me, and his you know his style kind of comes from a Bill Monroe approach. I think he you know he really helped to. He was like Bill Monroe's manager for a while, so helped to help to put Bill back on the the radar of national touring musicians when he was kind of hit a hit a slump in his career. So through Mike Seeger, you know, I think you know Bill Monroe. Um, I discovered folks like John Hartford. Uh, Mike Compton is a is a big influence on me. I really love Mike Compton's style. Um, which also kind of comes from that Bill Monroe school. Um, I really love Norman Blake's mandolin playing. Of course, the dog Grisman. He was, you know, discovering the David Grisman quintet was was kind of a, a pretty big eye opener for me in terms of realizing the possibilities of song structure and arrangements. And uh, yeah, David David Grisman definitely had a profound effect on me and 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 thinking about music in a similar way as like Thelonious Monk did you know like those two in my mind are like monsters of music in terms of their compositional abilities yeah dog's compositions just so many of them too i love it it's, it's like a I, just the other day i heard something on the like a tv show or radio i'm like it's got to be a dog song and i but you know there's so many melodies and you just catch a little bit of it and i had to sit down and listen right. for like 20 tunes you know the beginnings of them like oh, it's not that it's not that <laughs> end up being right. blue, end up being blue midnight <laughs> but oh nice yeah, yeah but it's driving me nuts i'm like i can't place it so yeah there is i wish I, i've many times i've looked back and tried to figure out who this was, but there's, you know, we have some great local community radio stations in Minneapolis. And I remember this, you know, being back in the late nineties, 98 or 99. And in my parents' house, sitting in the garage by the back door, smoking a cigarette, listening to the radio and, and this tune came on and it was, you know, it was a little bit, I wish I could remember who it was. It's, it's bothered me to this day, but it's, it's like the thing that, finally turned my ear you know when i first heard bluegrass music like the traditional bill monroe style i just i couldn't quite get into that high lonesome vocalizations and i loved instrumentally the music but it took me a while to warm up to the the vocal approach which is just so different from smashing pumpkins and nirvana etc <laughs> that i was used to uh but this instrumental 
track came on and it was a little bit western swing it was a little bit bluegrassy a little bit ragtimey and it just it just captivated me so much you know that i i just that that fed fed my initial hunger for the instrumental compositions instrumental folk music that you know turned me on to david gersman and and others in the beginning so you get to travel. You travel all around the country and the in the world, and you come back to Minneapolis. You meet up with some some high school friends, and and they've also then kind of found a love for acoustic music. Yeah, you know. And speaking of David Grisman and um, Jerry Garcia, and you know that Shady Grove album that those two put out was that uh, was kind of a you know a pretty foundational album for us as a band. I think that really turned all of our ears towards. Uh, this this folk style, this folk music, and and uh, so when I, like I said, I was out hopping trains and hitchhiking around the country, and came back into Minneapolis to winter over and work for a few months and save up some money, and I ran into these uh, Kevin and Jay who I went to high school with. They were a few uh, grades older than me, and uh, but we had mutual friends that were performing actually a, in a local cafe performing free jazz it was a free jazz group that our our friend uh ryan young was in along with sean roderick who's you know ryan young plays the trampled by turtles and was a founding member of pertinier sandstone and our friend sean has recorded piano on several of our songs on several of our albums including waiting days the title track in fact he plays piano on so was out just to check out their their little free jazz group and ran into these guys and discovered that they were sitting around watching the Timberwolves games on Tuesday evenings and and picking some acoustic guitars and Ryan was playing the fiddle and I said hey I got a mandolin you know I'm learning some some old time stuff I got a little bit of a repertoire built up why don't I stop over and do some picking and the joke is that I invited myself to their practice and and kept you know never left <laughs> coming back. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I really you know their their basis for folk music and bluegrass was this old and in the way and Jerry Garcia David Grisman combos, and uh, and I I you know I introduced them to a lot of other groups and repertoire and and old time style and old-time repertoire and kind of took off from there we were we were you know really just just started off doing interesting covers of nick drake songs and elizabeth cotton and some of these shady grove and uh songs and um and new lost city rambler stuff that i had been learning as well and started playing cafes and like i said soon after that went into bars and discovered a whole vibrant scene in Minneapolis of folk music and bluegrass and Western swing and just the, the acoustic tradition that really came about during the folk boom. Peter Ostrushko is another guy I should have mentioned as being pretty instrumental and pretty influential on me.
mandolin player that, of course, was on Prairie Home Companion for years and was pretty instrumental in influencing a lot of mandolinists. Oh, he's and, great. Uh, yes, yeah, he really is. So so what was the turning point for you guys to be like, well, we can, I mean, you guys have been together 20 years, multiple mm-hmm. albums, you know, was there, a, was there a moment for you guys where it was just like, uh, wow, we can, we can play a lot of shows all over the country doing this. Yeah, I think, you know, we just kind of started traveling around Minnesota a little bit, getting outside of the cities, and we uh, went on a couple tours with with other bands that had more of a draw and markets farther away. And, you know, I think the first time we went out to the Pacific Northwest, we just became enthralled with traveling and, and, you know, every, every town you go into, there's like a party waiting for you. You're actually (laughs) helping provide the party. And it was just, yeah, it just felt, it felt really good. And just as a traveler, you know, it just became, you know, an avenue for me to continue traveling and actually make some money (laughs) instead of of just bum around and, and busking on the streets. So, um, yeah, it was, there was, there was definitely a point where we're like, you know, I think we, I think we could do this. I think we could like take this show out on the road. And, and, uh, we started touring more and more and to the point where we were doing, you know, probably close to 200 days a year, um, at our busiest. And fortunately we're not, we're not that, uh, ambitious anymore. <laughs> we, we play just enough now. We're not trying to kill ourselves. So, but we definitely beat it, beat it pretty hard for a while. And, had to, uh, you know, arrange jobs and, and family and home life to allow for, for traveling in the band. And we, we all achieved a pretty good life balance and we still keep that going today and which has allowed us to do this for so long. Well, let's talk a little bit about waiting days here. Um, it's, it's great when, when Aaron reached out to me Mm -hmm. and, um, it's usually I could tell if I'm going to like something pretty quickly, but yours was like uh, one of those ones that really quickly I was like, uh, I, I mean, within like half of the first track that you wrote, I've been traveling. Yeah. And I was like, yep, let's uh, <laughs> let's set her right. up. Lands I can't help but understand. All my life I've been that way. Now I don't expect I'll change. Raised a great northern boy, I'd not have any choice. Always drawn on down the trail. I believe that I always. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the the tunes on the album that you wrote maybe a little bit about the process and do you write on mandolin or guitar i mean you play guitar so um yeah i mostly i'd say i'm writing on mandolin oh cool yeah so what's yeah, the kind of process mm-hmm. for you um you know it's it varies so much depending on individual songs but i'd say typically it comes with some lyrics first i get you know i have a I have a maybe a, a, a few couplets that create a nice chorus, or I have kind of like a melody that goes along with with the cadence of a, a lyrical line that I've come up with, and 
it just kind of builds from there. You know, it's a little bit of almost like a collage project, like a sound collage for me. I'm like, all right, oh, this lyric fits with that lyric, and this this chord progression kind of works with that melody. And here's an interesting melodic line that could work for an intro, or a, you know, just kind of it just kind of slowly slowly builds like a collage project. And uh, and that's that's how I do quite a lot of my my writing. You know, as a band, like I said, we're we're all pretty eclectic in our our foundations as musicians. So quite often it's a show and tell process of collaboration <laughs> with the band. It's like, Hey, I got this song. Let's learn how to play it. And, you know, we collaborate on coming up with different arrangements or maybe manipulating the lyrical content or, you know, helping, helping to build out the sound with other instruments and things. But, but there's, it's a lot of independent songwriting. So, um, Generally, I have I have like a completed song when we when we go into the studio and it's we're kind of learning it ahead of time and sometimes we're even com- finishing the song right in the studio, so it's it's kind of fun to to see the you know hear the music unfold as we're as we're putting putting the recording project together. The tune um, "All Waves Break." Reminds me of it sounds very Beatle esque to me, like late Beatle esque some parts of it. Yeah, I could hear that. Yeah, for sure. Face it and fall. See if you can do it. Rise from the pain and the depths. Because you know there's love all around. Push and pull till yours gets found true. It's kind of it's moody yeah it's definitely got a mood to it mm-hmm. and then um I, I think it's pretty awesome too i mean waiting days it becomes the title of the album and it's a song you wrote but maybe a little story about the song uh waiting days Yeah, so that that came about actually on our prior album, uh, which was Rising Tide. We recorded it, and it just didn't at the time didn't feel completed, didn't quite fit the rest of the the song, so it got sidelined. And when we went back into the studio to record this current album, Waiting Days, um. You know, we just we dug that one out, and I realized, you know, like that that's a it's a good song, and it kind of helps tie a lot of the a lot of the material together, a lot of the songs, and so I rearranged it and updated it, and we we set out and re-recorded it, and uh, yeah, just it just kind of felt it felt right, and it felt like the the concept, you know, the theme of the album waiting days and kind of became self-prophesied as well with, with the title and having, you know, set it aside and, and pulled it back out again. And of course, also a, a little bit of a, uh, you know, a reference to the pandemic and 
the uh, the world that was upset for for years for every single person on the globe. So just uh, it just it came together, and like I said, it it really is also a nod to that Minneapolis kind of Western swing scene and and that folk folk and bluegrass world that really kind of collaborates um, and you know intermingles in the DIY musical vocabulary that Minneapolis has had a long tradition of. So that gets that piano in there and a little bit of, a little bit of swing, a little bit of reg, a little bit of bluegrass. So yeah, I've, I've really, really uh, pleased with how that song ended up working out. How about end of the line? train tell me how far you're gonna go the end of the line the end of the line right until i can ride no more end of the line is uh it's that's one again that so i had gotten into the tenor world i uh you know from mandolin i love you know guitar of course i love banjo but i've discovered that octave mandolin tuning on tenor banjos and tenor guitars just gives you a whole new range of possibilities and voicings for chords and you know the, the range of of sound and uh so i had i had purchased my first tenor banjo and i I tuned it up and brought it down to the railroad tracks in in St. Paul nearby where I was staying at, at our guitar player Jay's place. And it's also the first train yard that I ever hopped afraid out of. And so it was just kind of was down there just enjoying the scene and smelling that uh, creosote on the, on the tracks and uh, playing the banjo. And it just kind of came to me. I just sort of played this sort of simple melody. And, and uh yeah, the concept of the song sort of just popped into my head as as this hobo having a conversation with a brakeman and and kind of realizing that how temporal the you know that that industry is and the world of of shipping and and uh, and how you know as as tracks or as uh, as freight lines you know dwindle and. Uh, you know, there, there might, there might not be a train in the future. There might not be a, a hobo in the future. And there's that, that whole oral tradition that came out of riding freight trains and moving around the country from the depression and earlier on to today. Uh, this is a little bit of an exploration of, you know, what, what has been and what might be and all kind of centered around the, the freight train. What was it that got you into the, the jumping freight trains? I mean, cause you can, I can hear the love of it in your voice, <laughs> you know? Yeah. What I mean? right. yeah, yeah. What yeah. was it that, uh, that made you want to chase that? That's, this is really incredible sounding. Uh, so I had been, like I said, I was hitchhiking around the country, you know, first, you know, after, even before graduating high school, I was going on road trips with friends in the summertime and, and soon, soon started taking Greyhound bus trips to Colorado and out to New York and Boston and just, just getting around visiting friends or having adventures. 
and uh, and then the thrill of probably from reading Jack Kerouac or you know something I I discovered hitchhiking was a valid form of transportation as well, and you could do that for free. You didn't have to buy a ticket. You didn't even need money. You'd have people that were, you know, more than excited to give you a ride and hear your story and maybe give you a, give you even a place to crash and a and a meal along the way. And so it just it I was just just filled with, uh, you know, just just a lot of um, fascination with the you know the means of traveling around and discovery and just in my own backyard my own state in my own country and um, I was out for about three months traveling around one summer and came back to Minneapolis and went into my job which was at the grocery co-op and half expecting that I had been let go while I was out <laughs> traveling. Right. I I came to discover that they in fact gave me a raise and were waiting for me to return and pick up right, right where I left off. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. And uh, and while I was away, they hired another guy, Brandon, who in fact was friends with this whole crew uh, of the free jazz group that I went to see when I ran into my now bandmates for the first time again. Um, he had been hired and was freshly back from a freight train uh, hopping uh, trip out to San Francisco and back. And just I was sh- sharing lots of stories about hitchhiking around, and he was sharing lots of stories about hopping freight trains and convinced me that the next trip that I went on ought to be on the on the rails. So when summertime came around, you know, he and I became really good friends and, in fact, were uh, bandmates as well. We had a little folk trio. He and Ellen and myself created a little folk trio um, early on as well, where we were playing songs about freight trains and you know <laughs> all, that, all that tradition as well. And so when summertime came around, I was primed and ready. And he took me down to the train yard in St. Paul and showed me what trains to get on and how to do it and and where to hide and which shadows to lurk in and (laughs) what to avoid and how not to, you know, get killed. And, uh, and so, yeah, one, one fateful, one fateful day, I, my girlfriend dropped me off at the train yard and I hopped out to one train from Minneapolis to Spokane, Washington. And, uh, two days of the most, uh, excited, nervous, miserable, uh, and, you know, completely, completely overjoyed, uh, two days. I think I've, I've, I've ever had in my life. It was all the things. It was dirty. It was cold. It was amazing. It was miserable. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I really don't recommend riding, you know, hopping freight trains to anybody because it is extremely dangerous and it's not exactly fun, but it's also, probably one of the more incredible experiences that that you can have as well and just like this total feeling of you know freedom but also like vulnerability <laughs> it's yeah it was it was pretty cool i did off and on i hopped freight trains and hitchhiked around for for a couple of years um or a few a few years and uh before before meeting up with uh, the guys and forming this band and discovering a different mode of traveling around the country. <laughs> Man, yeah. 
not recommending hitchhiking and or train hopping on the podcast, but it's just so it's, it's amazing to hear your love of it and that you had a po- you know positive experiences from it. The, you know, the exhilarating part. I mean, I'd imagine it's probably like if you jumped into a lion's den and made it out without the lion attacking you to be very similar exhilaration once you got out, although I wouldn't recommend doing that either. You know, Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really it really was. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I never got, you know, arrested. Fortunately, I never got injured. There's a lot of dangerous characters that are out there riding freight trains as well so it's something something to be uh very cautious about if if ever and i think it's just you know this is several years ago now so i just don't think it's as uh easy or approachable as a means of transportation anymore sure yeah yeah literally different times <laughs> than, yep. than even just a few years ago you know um mm-hmm. and then also how about on to dawn that's another uh, great track Yeah, that one I, I uh, another traveling song. I think pretty much all my all my songs on this album. It was originally the the concept of the album I was pitching to the guys is you know let's get let's let's either write an album all about traveling or write an album all about kind of stories that you know like almost like fictional narratives. And uh, it sort of became both of those things. A little little assortment of of story songs and traveling songs and and. Uh, this is one the traveling song that I came up with literally while driving the van through Montana and uh, just just kind of I think I was listening to a lot of Caleb Clotter at the time and his his uh, Western Country album and uh, and just that kind of honky tonk spirit of uh, of uh, you know that early country music. And just just had this kind of melody in my head, and some lyrics came to me about drinking coffee and driving all through the night, and uh, just just kind of wrote itself in a way. I think we pulled over at a gas station, and I jotted down all the lyrics on my on my Google Notes, and uh, shared it with Kevin, our banjo player. I was like, "Hey, man, I got this song." He's like, "Cool, let's uh, let's let's figure it out sometime." And it uh, the time was right on, on this album, so. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little bit about gear. What kind of a mandolin are you playing? So I have. It's my old trusty road dog. It's a. It's a Summit um, F style. It's just kind of their. It's actually kind of their intermediate uh, level mandolin. But it's just been. It's been really amazing to me. Built by Paul Snyder uh, in Hartsville, Tennessee, and Paul, of course, worked with Bruce Weber in the Gibson Flatiron factory so it's it's got it's just got like a unique sound it's not exactly like a weber it's not exactly like a flat iron it's just kind of its own its own thing but it's been just tried and true for me for since i got it fresh off the uh off the um the bench in 2006 nice so yeah i've i mean i've 
skip the thing across the dance floor accidentally and picked it up and it was still in tune. So I I knew at that point, like, all right, this is, this is the one for me. (laughs) So that's my main traveling uh, instrument. I've had several mandolins. I really got into, you know, kind of in that old time approach, I really got into, uh, you know, vintage Gibson oval hole mandolins. I had a 1918, I've had several 1918 Oval hole mandolins, um, both A style and F style, um, but ultimately they're you know vintage instruments are finicky and they need a lot of they they require a patience and and empathy and, <laughs> and work, or you know a deep pocket in order to fix them up and get them so they're a player's instrument again and they they all sound amazing but they I just I got frustrated by all the little finicky things that intonation wise or buzzing wise, or I just decided to sell those and get into the tenor world. So I have a, I have a, uh, I have a Martin, let's see, it's a 1964 Martin 015T, all mahogany tenor guitar. This is beautiful. I love that thing. Um, I haven't recorded with that on the, on near sandstone albums i have a lot of my own music on Bandcamp that i that i've recorded several instrumental or just interesting different songs that i wouldn't play or perform with pertinier recorded with that and um and an old let's see it's a 1929 orpheum one tenor banjo oh cool man as well yeah and uh also kind of re- recorded with that independently but uh, yeah, and then just a, a whole bunch of old fiddles that I found at flea markets and garage sales and the back room at instrument shops. And, uh, <laughs> what about uh, do you, do you like any particular strings and picks on your on your mando? Yeah, I I tend to go for the Diodario J seventy fives, the medium heavy, and I keep my string action pretty high. And I, you know, I hit it pretty hard when we're performing. So I, I like the heavier strings and a little higher string action. And I've for years and years played with wagon picks. Oh yeah. And, uh, I, now I go back and forth with the, um, uh, the blue chip. I have like a one millimeter, tend to, tend to play one millimeter picks. just like the feel and it's not too. Uh, clattery, but still has enough enough beef to be able to to get the tone and dig in. What shape do you like? Um, I kind of do that that triangular shape. Yeah, yeah, cool. The larger, yeah. I was doing the Golden Gate uh, shape for quite a long time, both with Wagon, Wagon, and other like Red Bear Trading Company, and I, I had a couple of genuine tortoiseshell picks as well that were in that Red Bear Trading Company shape, but. I just uh, got tired of uh, breaking my cuticle open <laughs> from like hitting my finger on the strings. I just needed a little more of a point um, just to articulate the way I wanted to and get the get the tone that I wanted to. And uh, but yeah, it's I'd say if my strings are are newer and fresher, I'll use the wagon. And if as they get a little deader and duller, I'll I'll go over to the blue to or the blue chip kind of make up for that lack of clarity or lack of articulation or response. So, and I actually kind of like deader strings. Uh, if the strings are getting old, 
you know, before they, before they start, uh, being disobedient right. <laughs> with, with the tuning and, and before that I can kind of tell when they're starting to get ready to break and then I'll, I'll change them. But I kind of like deader strings, uh, paired with the blue chip to, to kind of balance that out. When you play live, do you plug in or do you play in a mic? Uh, in Pertnier Sandstone, we all plug in. Yep. We have, we have pickups. I have a K and K twin spot inside my mandolin. And uh, that was installed before they made the mandolin version of the K and K. Oh wow! So it's so yeah, it's actually the guitar. It's like a twin spot that was designed for, I guess, designed for a guitar or a much wider variety of instruments. So I have to roll the bass entirely off my DI and kind of tweak with the mid range too, pretty pretty well. But it's just just it sounded great for me. I've I've never felt the need to replace it with anything else. So. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. And I have a, I go into, um, it's, uh, grace designs, the Felix amp or Felix DI rather. And which is two channels. So I, I have a, my mandolin and channel one and my fiddle and channel two. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's been, it's been a great, it's been a great DI for me. Those grace are fantastic. Mm-hmm. What do you, um, did you plug into any like effects or anything weird like that? Or, or do you just go straight into the grace? I've kind of toyed around with various effects. I tend to just go straight into the grace. Um, but I've, I've messed around with like an auto wah and I actually currently just have like a, like a micro wah that I use just for, for when we're doing kind of space jams, we can kind of just kind of get some different, sounds in there but but typically just yeah just go clean and dry and right into the grace well cool man i got a couple more questions here for you um the first one i'd like to ask is if you only had 10 minutes a day to play what is something you would work on to become a better mandolin player yeah i would say you know for me for me picking it up and you know playing along with say there's like a fiddle tune or or you know kind of I think mimicry goes a long way. So, you know, of course you could spend 10 minutes running scales and working on your, your agility. Uh, but you know, like to substitute playing with a group, if you're by yourself and you only have 10 minutes, I'd say putting on, putting on a song that has become an earworm for you. Like I don't, when I sit down to practice, I don't typically, you know, I'm, I'm typically working on something. So, I'm like trying to progress on a particular song and very often it's just whatever's in my head, whatever I, I get stuck in, I, you know, it's, it, it becomes an earworm and I feel like I have to play it. I have to learn it. So I'll typically put that on and, uh, and play along with it and try to learn the melody, try to learn, you know, the intro riffs, try to learn, you know, pick it up by ear and it's, it's, you're hitting a lot of, hitting a lot of different areas there. Your ear training, your, you know, you're working on agility or working on, you're practicing, you know, rhythmic timing and, and, uh, yeah. So that's, that's, that's what I would do if I had 10 minutes is just whatever, whatever that song is, that's been bugging me. Like finally get to it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any current ones you're working on, any current fiddle tunes you're working on, or do you have a favorite that you love to play? Ooh, yeah. Uh, I just started playing. We just kind of, as a band picked up Billy Wilson.
which is yeah, which is a great fiddle tune. And I've, I I've been playing that one on fiddle mainly, but I really I've I've been often playing it on mandolin as well. It's like a three-parter. That's uh, it's just a just a really cool tune. I think I picked up from Walt Koken and Claire Milliner, who uh, play with the Orpheus Supertones old-time group and um, of course Walt is a great banjo player so this was a kind of a banjo tune for him that Claire plays the fiddle on and I, I picked it up and yeah it's a, it's a good old tune. Eck Robertson also recorded a version of it um, within his Brilliancy medley Oh wow! anthology of American folk music Get so that's out. where I oh, man. first heard it. That's awesome and then the and then the final question do you have a favorite beer? Yeah, um, you know, I kind of go back to the, the the dog that first bit me or whatever the, <laughs> the saying is. Yeah. So I really like Summit. Summit is a company in St. Paul, Minnesota that makes really good. Um, I think their their EPA, their extra pale ale, is is by far one of my favorites. And it's I don't know how you describe it, like a New England style pale, um, pretty hoppy, pretty well balanced. Um, I, whenever I'm back in Minnesota, that's what I go for. Otherwise, Lagunitas IPA is kind of my my standard. My standard sit down and have a beer at the end of the day kind of go to. Yeah, how about you? What's your? Oh man, currently, currently I have been loving just the hazy little thing. Uh, oh, yeah. By Sierra Nevada, I believe. Is it Sierra Nevada? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's kind of the uh, the one. And then um, there's a brewery here in Charleston that does that I play at once a month called Palmetto Brewery. And they have um, every now and again, they'll have like some really cool, like darker lagers and they'll do like small batches. So I'm always excited. I play there actually this Saturday and I'm excited to see what they have on on draft <laughs> so I'm oh always, yeah kind always of looking they always have that. rotating taps yeah 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 and they're they're really good stuff and um they're just cool people too so so that's it but yeah that's that's been my thing lately and um i was on an oktoberfest beer kick during the fall this year for some reason too i was trying all the oktoberfest style beers i could i don't think i i don't think i had a bad one <laughs> so yeah it's it's a it's definitely it feels right drink seasonally with that Oktoberfest stuff get that kind of darker get that I had a, I had a really I had a good October like kind of fall seasonal beer that had like maple in it it was really oh wow it's pretty good just recently so I forget where that which brewery that was at but yeah well man this is great Nate where can everybody find you what's the best way to connect with you uh yeah I guess I'm I'm somewhat active on social media these days i try to try to ignore it but (laughs) (laughs) i hear you have to you know you got to promote gigs and you got to answer messages and things so but i'm on facebook as nate sype and instagram as nate sype and of course the um the band pertinier sandstone is also on both of those platforms and i my uh i spoke about my my independent recordings that i just kind of mess around with here in my home studio you can find on Bandcamp, Nate Sype, as well. And uh, yeah, yeah, feel free if anyone has to has any questions or wants to chat, hit me up on any of those. Man, what a what a fun conversation, man! I did not expect all this cool like uh, 
it fits the album so well in in the band style this your whole backstory it's probably why i connected with the album and why i think a lot of people will as well because it sounds very real all right cool yeah and that's hard to do man (laughs) yeah you know i don't think i don't think we have any illusions that we're like you know these like uh old you know old timey stars or anything we're just kind of dudes doing our thing but yeah i think a lot of a lot of the music that I've written kind of comes from my own experiences and, and as they kind of relate to acoustic music approach and just glad that other people uh, find that they like it. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much for doing the uh, podcast. Man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate you spreading the word about our new music. You bet, man. I love it. All right, there you have it. Thank you so much, Nate, for doing the podcast. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. Be sure to go out and buy this album if you enjoy it. Be sure to check out the Blue Ox Music Festival, and be sure and, uh, yeah, go check them out on the road as well. You have yourselves a fantastic week, everyone. Cheers, everybody.